this is Pastor Nate Ward with Open Door Church, and I wanted to take a moment to welcome you to our podcast. It's my personal prayer that you would be encouraged and encountered by the Holy Spirit and challenged by His Word. May the Lord bless you and stir faith as you listen to this week's message. visiting with us today or you haven't been here in a while, I just want to catch you up on where we've been. We just got out of a, out of a five-week-long series on prayer and on what that actually is. I mean, we, if you've spent any amount of time in the church um, and somebody talks to you about what it means to be a Christian, um, you'd probably get the foundation, well, you need to read your Bible and you need to pray. Those are kind of the, those are the big pillars of discipleship, right? And we've talked about that, but one of the things that was on our hearts as a staff was we want um, to encourage people to grow in prayer. I know we do a lot of prayer meetings. We talk about prayer a lot. Um, But I I don't know about you, but maybe when I first came to the Lord, prayer was a little intimidating. Was prayer intimidating for anybody else? It, It was kind of a big lofty thing that was kind of hard to wrap my mind around. Well, am I supposed to say thee and thou and Oh, Father, and, and all these different things in my prayers, or is there a specific time to the link that we're... So, so we answered some of those questions, not all of them. Uh, but the, the big kicker was this, was that we decided, and we didn't decide, it's actually been true, but we, we uncovered the fact that prayer is vital to a relationship with God. Earth-shattering, right? That's, that's brand new news for all of you. are like, wow, I didn't get that. No, you guys knew that, but it was something that we kind of hinged in on and just uh, reminded ourselves about that prayer is vital to our relationship with God. And it kind of led me on this journey of, uh, of asking myself, what does it mean to be a friend of Jesus? What does it mean to be a friend of God? And I, I, I say this, because I shared this in our pre-service prayer meeting. I've been saved for 12 years now. And, uh, you know, I've passionately served the Lord throughout the last 12 years. I didn't have like a, a period of where I backslid and was kind of, you know, uncertain about my faith. I can confidently say that I've been serving Jesus for the last 12 years. But if I were to, like, imagine a graph here, and you'll have to use your imagination because I didn't do it. But if I were to plot my love for Jesus on a graph, with how much I love him compared to how long I've been a Christian, you know, the first six months probably saw a huge spike like this. And then it kind of leveled out and kind of plateaued. And it might have increased a little bit as, uh, as I went on throughout the years. But I, I can confidently say that probably that first six months of knowing Jesus, there was this huge spike with my love and my passion for knowing him because I went from zero, right? I went from nothing. I went from being an enemy and opposed to Jesus to all of a sudden, man, I like this guy. Man, this guy's really awesome. I love Jesus. And uh, eventually I kind of plateaued out, maybe, maybe with a little bit of a, a jump here and there. And I can, I can say this. I, I believe with 100% confidence that I love Jesus more today than I ever have before. And that's good. But I was convicted by the fact that I don't love Jesus enough. I was convicted by the fact that I don't love Jesus like he's worthy, and I don't love Jesus like he's deserving. And I've not seen that that growth of love for Jesus like I did when I first gave my heart to him. 
I've not seen this continual growth and this enlargement of passion for Jesus like when I first gave my life to him. And friends, you might say, well, that's natural. I mean, any way that you grow, I mean, you think about a, a baby that grows up. They grow up and they get 18 and they kind of, um, you get through puberty and all that stuff and you kind of mellow out. You don't grow anymore. That's not how it has to be with our relationship with Jesus. I believe that you can be on a fast track with just giving your life to Jesus and continually and explosively grow in love for Jesus day after day. I read things like David Brainer's uh, uh, diary, and uh, it's really hard to understand, but he's consistently writing in his journal about how my heart was moved, and I love Jesus. My heart was moved, and I, I, I felt his presence, and I just had to go spend time with him. And I want to be able to confidently say that I'm a close, intimate friend of Jesus, more so today or in the next 12 years than I ever have been. I'm trying to suffice, I'll suffice this to say, I'm not comfortable with how much I've grown in love for Jesus over the last 12 years. And I don't want to spend the next 12 years only casually growing in knowing about God and learning about his character and learning about his nature without growing in a proportionate love for him. Can I tell you this? Learning things about God is good. Uncovering truths in his word is awesome. Having a, a, a foundational theological foundation in order to build things upon, that's well, and that's important to have. But if it's not unlocking the door to loving Jesus more, I question how really beneficial it is. And so I mean that, and I'm not trying to say throw all that out and you just need to love Jesus. There's foundational things that we have to have. But I'm just, uh, I think I've traded it. And this is personal confession time from your pastor to you guys. I've traded in growing love for Jesus for knowing more about him and not knowing him more. Does that make sense? And it's a dangerous place to be. So, you know, I initially titled this message Misconceptions. Misconceptions that we have. And uh, anybody know the definition of a misconception? It, it, it's really when, when we have this kind of twisted viewpoint of a truth. And so something can be true, but if we're looking at it from the wrong way, it winds up being myth. And it winds up being untrue. And it, we have to look through the right lens at truth for it to be true. Anyway, take that, you could take that out of context and don't soundbite me on that. What I'm saying here is that there are particular truths in Scripture that if taken out of context, they lose all their validity. And one of them is this, and it's, it's this terminology that we throw around in, in Christian culture. It's that Jesus is a friend of sinners. It's actually something that comes from Matthew chapter 11 and Luke chapter 7. It's mentioned twice in the Gospels. And the naysayers of Jesus' day, the, the Pharisees that were trying to find something wrong with Jesus' ministry, meant it as an accusation um, against God Almighty, saying that Jesus is a friend of sinners. He's a friend of tax collectors, and he's a friend of sinners. In the same breath, they also accused Jesus of being a drunkard and a glutton which we know Jesus was not a drunk. We know Jesus wasn't a glutton because he was without sin. And they, they, they threw in this other insult that he was a friend of sinners. And friends, I believe this is a dangerous half-truth. Um, 
I want to be very clear and very upfront. I 100% believe that Jesus loves all of mankind. That includes sinners. I 100% Jesus desires and delights in friendship and wants friendship with all of mankind. I believe that with 100% of my being. I believe Jesus extends compassion and mercy. In fact, uh, the book of Luke even tells us that he came to seek and save the lost, right? He also tells us that he came because uh, it's the sick that need a physician, not the well, not the healthy. We understand that that is the reason why Jesus came. And we were all at one point in time lost to sin before Jesus entered the equation. But I do not believe that Jesus is a friend of sinners. And you may say, well, whoa, Pastor Nate, I heard Casting Crowns write a song about Jesus being a friend of sinners. That's got to be like in the Bible somewhere or something like that. Let me give you two quick reasons why I believe that that cannot be. They're rooted and they're found in Scripture. I'll give you one from the Old Testament and one from the New Testament. But Psalm 25, 14 says that friendship with the Lord is reserved for those who fear him. God tells us that we cannot have friendship with him unless we first have reverence for him. That is something that that he drives home. He says that friendship, real relationship with him, the word friendship as defined in this message and throughout uh, all all of Scripture, when you read somebody being a friend of God, it means this, and it's defined by Strong's this way. It's a reciprocated relationship. I need you to understand this. It's reciprocated. And so, so the, my, you do not have a friend with anybody if that friendship is not reciprocated. You can be nice to somebody. I, I mean, I can, be, I can say that I'm Austin's best friend, but if he doesn't like me, that's not true. <laughs> Does that make sense? Because friendship is a two-way street. It's where we share each other's thoughts and emotions, and, and we have real uh, a connected relationship. And so I think we throw around the term friend very easily because I say I'm friends with a lot of people that I don't know their last name or anything about them. <laughs> In fact, I, I think I prayed for you guys today as my friends. <laughs> I like all of you guys. You've all been very friendly, but I don't know all of you. I didn't get to meet everybody this morning that's, uh, that's visiting and those things, and so I hope to get a chance to. But there's got to be a reciprocated relationship. So in the book of Psalms, all the way back in the Old Testament, God says this himself, that friendship with the Lord is reserved for those who fear him. If you jump into the New Testament, we read in the book of James that that friendship with the world is actually enmity towards God. We cannot be friends of the world. We cannot be living in sin and be friends of God at the same time. And that's why I say that Jesus is not a friend of sinners. He desires to be a friend of sinners. I believe that he spends time with those that need a physician, and I believe that he spends time with those that need to be made well, but that does not equate to them being friends. In fact, even when this accusation was given to Jesus that he's eating with tax collectors and sinners, he was with Matthew at the time, and he had just repented and just sold everything he had. And they had a dinner together at his house. We see throughout Scripture that Jesus meets with a repentant heart. And I had this idea and I had this picture that, uh, that, I, that I felt like was kind of portrayed is that, you know, Jesus offers us this gift of relationship. 
He's already paid for it. He's already died for it. He's already done everything for us to inherit this gift of friendship that he desires for you and me. And he's given it to us. He's placed it in our hands. But repentance is the key to unwrapping that gift. Does that make sense, my friends? I don't want, I, I, I want, I want to continue on. Turn with me to John chapter 15. In verse 14 here, it says this. I'm going to start in 13. It says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if, somebody say if. Do you know what that means? It means it's contingent upon what's to come after this word. Right? If I, anyway, you get, you know what the word if means. You don't need an English lesson, hopefully. (laughs) But it says this. You are my friends if you do what I command. Jesus himself is saying this. And who is he saying this to? His disciples. These are the guys he just spent the last three years with. They did miracles together. They ate meals together. They traveled around healing the sick together. These are the same ones that were, that, that were helping cast out demons. They were performing miracles. God's already sent them out two by two. They've come back. They've spent the last three years together. And Jesus says this, You are my friends if, I do, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants... For the servant does not know what the master is doing, but now I have called you friends. This means that the disciples spent over three years doing ministry with the Lord Jesus before they inherited the title of friendship. And friends, I I believe under the new covenant, I believe with what Jesus did on the cross, and we're going to get there in a second, that friendship has uh, has been given openly to us. But I believe it's a dangerous notion to perpetuate this idea that Jesus is a friend of sinners. The only two times that you see that in Scripture, the only two times, are from the accusation of the Pharisees, which we know we can't really trust their interpretation of what's going on, right? And so I say that not because I don't believe Jesus loves sinners, not, believe, not because I don't believe that we're not supposed to uh, leave the 99 in, in order to, to see the one. I, I don't believe that. I, I, I don't want you to misconstrue my words. But it, what it does is it gives people an excuse. It gives people a notion that they're all right with God, when in reality, he's not their friend. He's their soon-and-coming king that is going to bring judgment. Why do I say that? And what, why, why does this message feel heavy this morning? Is because I was reading in Matthew chapter 7, and if you would turn with me there. And I'm I'm actually going to read it in a different translation, so give me just a moment here. Guys, these are are my notes this morning. Uh, I want you to know this, because I wrote out a lot more than this, and I preached this message last night to my wife, and she told me that you probably have a a series, not just a sermon, so um, I did really hard to, I worked really hard to try to just consolidate my thoughts, so I didn't give you something that you would distract from what the Lord's laid upon my heart this morning. 
I want you to know this. This is something that has arrested me over the last number of weeks, something that, that the Lord has been working on in my life. And if, if, if it's for anything today, I'm preaching this message to myself, and I challenge those that were in prayer today that I cannot leave today the same man that I came in. Because I believe that I, I believe that Jesus has more for me today. And I believe that he has more for you today. And I believe he's given us opportunity to encounter that much more of the Holy Spirit that he wants to release today. I, I need you guys to believe that with me. This isn't just something that I want you to think that, well, you know what, that's a nice thought, Pastor Nate. That's a good idea, Pastor Nate. You know what, I wish I could be more like that, Pastor Nate. This is for every single one of us today. I made, a, I made a statement before we entered into worship. If anyone leaves today without growing more in love with Jesus, if any, if any person leaves today without having their heart moved by the Holy Spirit, it's not because God didn't want to do something today. It's not because he's not trying to. It's because we didn't let him. And I want to give him permission. I want to give him permission to do something in my life today. Matthew chapter 7. I told you I was pulling it up in a different translation. So now, now you have to wait for the Bible to load. Verse 21 of Matthew chapter 7. In the New Living Translation. It says, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. We're going to go on and read this a little bit more, but I want you to hear this. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but only those who actually do the will of my Father will enter in. By that definition, by that definition right there, those are the words of Jesus. That's not the words that Pastor Nate made up that's trying to beat you over the head with a stick of legalism. Hear me, that's not my heart today. But it says those who actually do his will are going to be the ones that enter in. And it goes on to say, on judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we perform mighty miracles in your name? But he'll reply with this, that depart from me, for I never knew you, you who practice lawlessness you got to understand here, these are people doing ministry. These are people that are casting out demons in the name of Jesus. These are people that are prophesying in the name of Jesus. These are people that are performing miracles in the name of Jesus, doing good things, doing good work for the Lord, that are going to stand before him on judgment day. And the word that Jesus uses here says that many, which means more than a few, right, will stand before him and say, didn't we do this? Didn't we do the Jesus thing? Didn't we do the church thing? And he's going to tell people, I believe with tears in his eyes and a broken heart, depart from me. I don't know who you are. 
Friends, if there's one thing that we cannot afford to miss, is it at the day of judgment, do we know Jesus and does he know us? That's why we taught about prayer, because I believe that prayer is the lifeline on which relationship and friendship with the Lord is established. We're talking about spending time with God. Friends, this is something that we can't afford to kind of just think, you know what, I think I'm okay with God. You know, I said a prayer one time. And, and, you know, I raised my hand, I filled out a card, or I did something. You know, most, most pastors in America would be ecstatic if their congregations were casting out demons and prophesying in the name of Jesus. Well, I, I would be ecstatic if, if that was happening and that miracles were commonplace and things were happening, right? I'm not going to lie, I'd be, I'd be happy about that. We're seeing some of that stuff happen, and it's great. And I'm, I'm awesome. I'm awesome. I'm awesome. I'm excited about the awesome things that God's doing. But if it's at the sake of people just kind of faking their relationship and love for Jesus... I'm not okay with that. Because you know what it says here? It says, depart from me, for I never knew you, you who practice lawlessness. Do you know what Jesus is saying there? He's saying that the activity apart from relationship and intimacy is actually illegal activity. Do you know it's illegal for you to prophesy in the name of Jesus if you don't know the Jesus that you're prophesying about? You remember the sons of Shiva that tried to cast out demons and whatnot? They got beat up because <laughs> they said, you know, this is Jesus that Paul preaches. <laughs> Bad news for them. What Jesus is saying here is it, it's, it's, it's actually breaking God's law to try to operate in the giftings of God outside from knowing the one that gives the gifts. And I would encourage you beyond anything else that you would settle this in your heart today, that you would know that you know that you know that you know that you know that God calls you friend. So what does that mean, Pastor Nate? Am I just supposed to white-knuckle my way through this thing called life and I need to try harder? You know, Jesus said, if you do what I command, that, that proves your love for me, right? And, and over here, Jesus says, you know, only the one that actually does the will of my Father is going to be the one that enters into heaven, so I need to try harder, right? I don't know about you, but when I first got saved, I tried really hard to do just one day without sinning. I tried to do one day, and I remember getting up, God, today's the day I'm not going to sin today. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. If I, have, if I have to lock myself in my room and not talk to another living person, I'm not going to do it today. I don't know if anybody else tried that, but that was my mentality. It did not work very well. I don't know about you guys, but I, I don't believe that that's a, a healthy strategy or, or good motivation even. It didn't, didn't help me out very much when I was, was trying to do that. And I, I remember reading verses like this and thinking to myself, you know, God, I messed up. <laughs> This isn't going to happen. I started thinking, well, maybe I'm not elect or something like that. Uh, anyway, I'm not going down that road. Uh, 
about, you know, I, I can't do this. You know, I tried really hard. You know, when I first gave my life to the Lord, I'll be very open and honest with you, I was, I was dealing heavily with a pornography addiction. That was something that very, I mean, that, that was my life up until the point I first gave my life to the Lord. And I tried really hard to not look at porn when I first gave my life to the Lord. And can I tell you, as, 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 uh, as much as I hate to admit it, almost more often than not, the more I tried not to do it, the more I did it. And it wasn't until um, I really encountered the Holy Spirit and experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is something we'll talk about, um, that things changed for me. And I say this because I want you to turn with me to Romans chapter 5. Because the last thing I want to do is perpetuate this idea that friendship with God is something that we earn. Because it's not. I want to tell you right now, you can't try hard enough. You can't do good enough to earn right standing with God. You can't try to, to make it happen and manufacture it. So you know what? You've got all your T's crossed and all your I's dotted and things are going good. And somehow you earn God's friendship because that's not the case. And I told myself I was going to read this one out of a, the New Living Translation too. Somebody wants to get me a New Living Translation Bible for Christmas? That would be a great one. Because I don't have one. I just have it on my phone. Um, <laughs> Beginning of verse 6, it says, When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. I want you to hear that. I, I may be very adamant about the fact that Jesus does not have friendship with sinners, yet but he made every provision possible for that friendship to take place. But friendship, as defined, um, as defined as the word, is a mutually reciprocated relationship, which means I can't be your friend unless you're my friend. And so I want you to know that God desires relationship with all mankind. He desires friendship with each and every single breathing soul, and he's made it possible for that friendship to exist. But he says in verse 7, Now most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Before we ever did anything for him. Before there was anything that, 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 was, that was good in us, he died for us. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord, Jesus Christ, has made us friends of God. Friends, that is good news this morning. And that should get you excited about the fact that Jesus paid a price that we could not pay. And he, he paid a debt that, 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 was, that was inexcusable with his own blood because he so desired friendship with humanity. And he's made it right. 
and he's extended it to us. Can I tell you that there is a, a level of intimacy and relationship with God that he so desires for each and every one of us that God can be closer than we think he can be. I need you to know that right now. As close as you think God can be to your circumstance and your situation and your life here in this moment, there is a, there is a depth closer that he desires to take you. He, he desires to reveal himself in a more real way than you could possibly ask for or imagine, and he desires to do it today. Can I tell you that in John chapter 14, where we read a little bit earlier, the definition of friend is this Greek, it's this Greek word that Jesus uses there, and it's philos. It's actually used again in the book of Hebrews to describe the friendship that Abraham had with God back in the Old Testament. It's this mutually um, reciprocated relationship, but there, was a, there is a secondary definition in the Strong's Concordance for this word philos. And that word essentially um, translated into a friend of the bridegroom. And, and it, the Strong's Concordance went down to uh, describe it as this. It's, it means this, one of the bridegroom's closest friends who on his behalf asked for the hand of the bride and rendered him various services in closing the marriage and celebrating the nuptials. So that's the official definition from Strong's. It would be the equivalent uh, of uh, like the, the Hebraic version of our best man in a wedding. If I was the groom and Adam was my best man at my wedding, and it, w- it essentially meant this, that you are going to go to my bride, to my wife. You're going to go and ask for her hand in marriage, and you're going to lead her up to the marriage ceremony. So you're going to go in the middle of the night. You're going to go find her. You're going to take her by the hand. It was kind of the, the Hebraic version of, um, of a, what's that called? Proposal, where you, where you get down on one knee and you give the ring and stuff. It, it was essentially kind of the equivalent of that, but it was also the responsibility of that best man, of that friend, to lead the bride all the way up to the wedding ceremony. And, 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 and so, so the bridegroom would have to have great trust in the one that he's sending because essentially what he's saying is, I trust you with my bride. I trust you that you're going to get her to me safe and sound. I trust that you're going to be on time. I trust that you're not going to lose the ring. It's going to be a good thing, right? I want to tell you this. When the Lord calls us friends, and I'm telling you, this arrested me so so hard last night in prayer and just uh, before, before I went to sleep and this notion that God has called me his friend with a responsibility to propose to his bride and take her by the hand and make sure she gets to where she's supposed to go. And I believe that's the calling of every single person that has taken up the mantle as of a friend of God. As one that says, you know what, Jesus, I love you. I'm going to serve you. It has now been entrusted to you with the responsibility to make sure that her bride gets to where she's supposed to be going. Because I guarantee you there are those that are hurt. There are those that are broken. There are those that are bound and addicted that are waiting for that hand and that invitation to come and meet your groom. Come, Come and meet him. 
And so when we read about Jesus coming to, to, to seek and save the lost, when we read about Jesus' desire for all of mankind, that all should come to repentance, that none should perish, that's what Jesus desires. That's what his will is. And he says, no longer do I call you my slaves. No longer do I call you my servants, but I call you my friends. I call you, I call you my best man. Friend of the bridegroom. That's going to lead my bride to me. Friends, I'm going to invite you to stand this morning. Adam, I'm going to ask you to come up. Jesus' discourse in Matthew chapter 7 revolving around this notion that many are going to stand before him and say, didn't we do the ministry thing? Didn't we do the Jesus thing? And he's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. Comes pretty much immediately after uh, uh, that, that part in, in Matthew chapter 7 where he, he says this, you know, wide is the path and broad is the gate that leads to destruction. The New Living puts it as the highway to hell. And many find it. Many walk through that gate, and many go down that path, and many are headed toward eternal separation from a God that died and loved them. Then it, then it says that, you know, small is the gate, and narrow is the path, the way that leads to life, and few find it. This isn't some kind of emotional thing that a pastor drummed up. Those are the words of Jesus. Jesus said that, and I think it's nice and it's comforting for us to kind of live in the mentality, you know what? You know, everybody's going to heaven. Everybody's, God's, God's so loving and God's so kind and his long suffering and his patience. Can I tell you that that's not the words that Jesus shared? I wish it was, man. I wish it was that easy. I wish, it, I wish that, that, you know what, everyone could come to repentance. Every, everyone can come to repentance. Not everyone will. And that's what Jesus, I mean, Jesus says that he desires that all would come to repentance. But can I tell you that that doesn't happen? I know that because the same Jesus said that few find it. Now, friends, I, I believe God's not intimidated by statistics because if I, if I were to break down this room and say many of you are going to hell and few of you are going to heaven, I mean, we might have this front row over here because we know God likes front row Christians, but no, I'm kidding. Right? I mean, you four, step up here. Step up here. I, I just want to put this in perspective for you. When Jesus is talking about a few and when he's talking about many, I envision it this way. If I were to look at these two groups of people, all of you guys, sorry, you're part of the bad illustration. You're part of the good. Good job. Um, if I were to look at you and say, you know what, few are going to make it to heaven because it's hard. It's simple, but, it, but it's not easy. I mean, you just got to love him. You got to trust him. You got to do what he says. But he, he's going to take care of it. He's gonna, but it's hard. And I, and I were to say, you know what, these 
are a few that find the way to life. And I looked at you guys, and many are going to enter down the highway to hell. The, the broad path, the wide gate that leads to destruction. I mean, I would step back and say, you know what? God, that doesn't, that doesn't line up with what I know to be about a kind, loving father that you are. That's not fair, Jesus. That's not fair. You must love these ones more than you love those ones because you couldn't send them to hell. Can I tell you that you choose? Can I tell you God's placed it in your hands? Can I tell you that he's given each and every one of you an invitation? He's placed that Christmas present that was the death and resurrection of his son in your hands and saying, I want friendship with you, Elliot. I want you to be able to stand before me on that day of judgment and I can say, well done, my good and faithful servant. I can say, good job, man. This guy's not a stranger to my throne. But the sad reality is many are going to stand before God and he's going to say, I never knew you. I never knew you. I don't care what you did for me. I didn't know who you are. He's giving an invitation this morning. You guys can go back. Or you can come up. I don't care. Man, that'd be an easy way to make somebody answer an altar call. Just say, all of you that don't answer the altar call, you're going to be part of the illustration that goes to hell. And if you cross this line, way to go ruin a serious moment, Pastor Nate. No. This is something that we cannot afford to miss. This is something, if there's any ounce of uncertainty in your heart, if you were to stand before God today, if he would know you, and if you would say, you know what, we've spent time together. Your face and your voice are familiar. If you can't say that with 100% certainty today, why take a chance? Why, why, why leave this place saying, you know what, you know, I had an opportunity, but you know, I think I'm okay. Friends, as I was doing this study, I found in my heart that I wasn't okay. I want to love God more. This isn't a matter of living in fear of, man, am I going to hell? That's not, that's not the case. I believe that's a poor motivator to serve Jesus. But I want to be able to, without a shadow of a doubt in my mind, know that Jesus calls me friend. He wants to be your friend. Um, if that's you today, if you would say, you know what, I want to, I want to love Jesus more. I'll give you the right answer. That should be everybody in this room. But if, if that's not you, I'm sorry. I'll pray for you. I will. I, I'm serious. But if you want to love Jesus more, if you want to grow in friendship with God, that, that, that reciprocated relationship where you share your burdens, where you share your struggles, where you share your needs and your wants and your desires and what's going on in your life with the God of all the universe that can actually make a difference. 
an amazing thing happens because he begins to share his heart with you. It's a two-way street, my friend. It's a two-way street. It's reciprocated. John 15, 14 says, if you love me, you'll do what I command. And I always, for a long time, I had this mentality that I had to somehow dot all the I's and cross all the T's and do everything right in a way to prove my love to Jesus was real. And a few years back, the Lord arrested me and he showed me that, that I had it all wrong. Because it's not about what I do. It plays into it. I, I'm not, don't take that and use it as Pastor Nate says, it's not about what I do. I'm going to the party tonight. That's, that's not true. Because hear me. Hear me. Hear this. If you love me, you'll do what I command. I used to always have this mentality that I've got to do what he commands and that'll show Jesus that I love him. And it's backwards. That do what I command came second for a reason because if I love Jesus, the natural overflow of my heart is going to be an obedient river that runs forth like streams of living water. Can I tell you right now that if you, if you prioritize love for Jesus, it will always trump activity. Intimacy with God, proximity to God always trumps activity. Because it's from that place that activity is legalized. I can guarantee you it's an impossibility for you to go and just do things in the name of Jesus and somehow hope that that generates an intimate relationship with God. It's also an impossibility to have an intimate relationship with God without the fruit demonstrating itself in your life. So if you're struggling with doing the things that God's asked you to do, if you're struggling to live an obedient life, and you, you've got all these temptations and these struggles, and you feel like, man, I'm just a screw-up, and I'm just a mess-up, and it's never going to get any better, I can tell you right now, it's not that you have uh, an overwhelming problem of sin. It's the fact that you do not have enough love for Jesus. Because I, I believe, and hear me, God will deal with the inconsistencies in our heart. He'll deal with the things that hinder and hurt him. But his priority is, do you love me and do you know me? Because I want to love and I want to know you. Jesus, I thank you for those here today. And it's my prayer that your Holy Spirit would do what you want to do. Friends, these altars are open. If you just want to... I would just say this, I would encourage you to not leave this place without having an honest conversation with the Lord, without having an honest conversation with the Holy Spirit about where your relationship and where your friendship is with Him. There isn't any, any formal way that you have to do that. I'm not going to lead you in a repeat after me prayer right now. But you can talk to God. You can talk to God like you would talk to a friend. You can just whisper it. You can think it if you want to, but I would encourage you to speak it out loud just as evidence of what's in your heart. And it could be as simple as, God, I want to love you more. God, I want to be your friend. But we're going we're gonna to spend just, just a few moments here, and Adam's going to lead us in a, in a song, and I want us to be able to not leave this place without confidently knowing
that we are friends of God. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Our ministry is made possible entirely by the faithful generosity of people just like you. If you were blessed by this message and would like to partner with what the Lord is doing in Pagosa Springs, visit us online at www.opendoorpagosa.com. Here you can give, see our service times, and stay connected with Open Door Church. We hope to see you soon.